So I'm here with Nathan and we were talking a little bit about, I was actually talking about like, like he asked me if I'm ever going back and this is, uh, we're recording Monday. We're now like, oh, like deep into, you know, the world is protesting and I'm like, yo, I can, you know, I can do everything from here. Like my city's collapsing and what I was just going to get into was like, yeah, I've been recording music remotely. I was waiting to see what would happen, but it seems like there's no reason to wait to release stuff. And then I'm like, oh, I'm talking to someone who just released a new album. And I was about to ask, and I was like, no, I should hit record right now because I want this answer. <laughs> you know, you just, congratulations, first of all. I just had the album on. I've had the album on for, for the last, holy shit, this bird just flew by. As I'm talking to you, this bird just flew by my face like 20 feet away with like a huge lizard in its mouth. Crazy. I've never seen that before. Sorry. <laughs> like, just like dangling. Like it just was so vicious. Whoa. Um, so yeah, so I've been listening to your album nonstop since it came out. Uh, what's that been like? congratulations i love the record obviously you know we're talking because of that um what's it like releasing a record right now well thanks um well i guess probably right now is a little different than like when i did it uh was it two two months ago almost i guess maybe six weeks um yeah, yeah I mean, it was today, an odd moment i mean it is different i guess the last few years of like being a musician and touring DJ, the incentive of releasing music was to sort of uh, propel your touring schedule and to push you into that sort of realm. But honestly, in the last year, and especially the, after Blue Spring last year, the touring just got so intense that uh, I was kind of nearing burnout anyway. Not quite burnout, but I was like, I have a lot of friends who tour more than I do, but I, mm -hmm. I was continuing to work a day job while I was here, while oh, doing wow. all that touring. Uh, and then just as Corona so hit, I was that, in Australia. Weekends? So I was away every weekend, yeah, which doesn't yeah. sound like a lot, but I'm sure as you've probably experienced or have friends who have, uh, DJing two nights out of the week consecutively is pretty intense. You just get no sleep for pretty much two Yeah, if you're days. touring, because you recover, it takes... I think when I was super young, it didn't matter. Well, also, because I guess I didn't work a day job. I just DJed for a, for a while. There were years, I had, a, I had a few years between, like I stopped making films, I stopped shooting, and I would just DJ like six nights a week and it was fine. And I was like in my 20s and I didn't care, but I would eat pizza before bed and like shit didn't matter, you know? And, but now, yeah, DJing, like I recover emotionally also for a few days. And I don't like DJing every night. I would DJ every night if every night was amazing and it was like, you know, I felt good and it was flawless and, and the club was nice and the managers of the place were nice, but it doesn't work out that way every time. So I end up drained for a couple days. Yeah. So your so week was, becomes a yeah. cycle. So I was at that point and then when Corona hit, uh, I was in Australia on tour actually. So I had to like really scramble to get back to Berlin as like, I pretty much got home the day the borders closed. I got in around 10 AM and apparently the borders closed oh, at man. noon. So it was, I mean, I would have been allowed in Whoa. still, but it was stressful. Um, so That's then it. I got back and I'm like, I'm never going on tour again. And um, 
I don't think it's going <laughs> to exist in the same way anyways, but right. So it made me think, you know, I had this album ready and I have quite a bit of other music ready. Um, and so I saw what Bandcamp did that first Bandcamp Friday and it seemed really mm -hmm. great. And it had been a few months since my last release and I had put out this album as like a cassette mix in December with Lucky Me, but it was, there was like narrative voices over it and it was like all these crazy juxt uh, exposition um, pieces of audio to sort of build a story out of that mix, I guess. And so I decided people had been asking why weren't you doing it digitally? So instead of doing the whole process of vinyl and all that during a time when people's pockets probably aren't quite as deep, we decided let's just put it out on a Bandcamp Friday, no PR, no nothing, and let it just sort of go as it goes. And it was quite an interesting experiment because, um, yeah, it seemed to connect really well. Um, it was also intimidating to put it out on the Bandcamp Friday thing, just because I know it's like, like, you know, yeah, you put music into the world anytime and you feel like you're sort of going to a void, but that really felt like mm -hmm. a condensed void, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah. So it did that, and ironically, like, I got it. it. It got onto like the one publication I've been trying to get onto for years using PR companies. And then this time without any PR company, Pitchfork reviewed cool. it, which was hilarious oh, to me. Oh, cool. You've never so been in Pitchfork until now? We've, I've personally pitched to people on there. I've had the label pitching to people on there and wow. they never said yes. And then the one time no pitches were done by anybody, it ended Who up. Who wrote with, it? Uh, Sean Ronaldo. Oh, okay. That's real. I was talking to Sean. I wanted to do, that's really funny. Um, I saw his write up on his, on his website, like first mm -hmm. floor. Um, that's really funny. I talked to him about doing an episode together recently and uh, he's doing, he's like starting his own thing. It sounds like uh, he loves, he loves you. Yeah. Oh, great. He's a big Yeah, supporter. He's always been very nice to me. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, I love, I love him. I love Philip Sherburn. Um, I had Elliot Einhorn on who does all the, like the interviews, uh, the podcasts and stuff. He's on my show. Uh, we recorded last week, but um, we didn't want to put it up yet because it's like we recorded like in the middle of the, like the protests starting. And it was like, we shouldn't put an episode up of like two white people, you know, <laughs> for another like week or two. Um, but yeah. Oh, that's cool. Congrats. Thanks. That, that's, I think that's like a cool microcosm of the way that the world is going to move at this next juncture. Like, I don't think that like PR, like, I think, I think publicists are going to need to be like quality over quantity. Like you're going to go to a publicist rather than for them, like giving, you know, access to their email list or whatever. It's more for like them shaping the narrative with you and them for like, you literally go to the publicist to get to Sean Ronaldo, for example. Yeah. Like, and of, that might be exact, that might be the only thing. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of, I think I've sort of accidentally seen this coming for years. Like I run three of my own labels as a, maybe, you know, and I've never hired PR for any of them. So what I've done for all of those releases, and I do this with all my own stuff, including Blue Spring, even though Lucky Me had hired PR, uh, yeah. I send about 300 personal emails. I have a big list of DJs and writers and stuff, and I only get about 30% responses any given run that's of a, emails. If, if you talk to people, good. And that's a great, yeah, that's a great uh, uh, ratio. But I think that's how, you know, I've only met Sean 
maybe once in my life, maybe twice, I think. Uh, but that's how that sort of report. We don't we don't really know each. I don't. I couldn't tell you more than three things about Sean, you know, as a person because I don't really know sure. him. But we built this rapport of like, he's a voice I respect in the writing, and I'll respect his opinion. And if he were to say something in a review that I hadn't thought about, I might put it towards my next release. And there's a few people I put up in that, like Will Lynch at RA, and there's a few people I, cool. Andrew Rice. Uh, I'll, I've just over the years had relationships emailing journalists, um, not necessarily always being friends with them, but um, yeah. So it's interesting that now all these people are starting their own newsletters and stuff, and I kind of feel like I've accidentally become like in the gatekeeper crowd in a sense. Like I'm not gatekeeping, but I like That's they all know me. Why the fuck do we care about like? the the random you, you know for years the music industry you know fed feasted on these like premieres that were you know not writing at all like scintillating sounds of you know like soaring synths of like fuck that like just dumbass fucking stupid writing with no curation with you know it's just, just publicists just getting in it as their foot in the door it was a system where where uh, publicists would want some relevance, writers would want a job. You know, it it was it became like instead of working at a record label, you could work at a blog, and you you know you have the world coming to. I remember when you know when the EDM boom happened, there were these kids that were just like super powerful that everyone sucked up to YouTube programmers and you know, YouTube UGC channel programmers and music blogs and stuff like that. People that, that, that could get you on hype machine and shit. And they were these like, you know, nothing like, you know, random fucking people that all of a sudden you had to suck up to and build your whole world around so that they would just literally like write some three sentence bullshit thing about you, but that would get you 50,000 plays. And uh, I built yeah, a majestic really casual. powerful system. Yeah, majestic casual, literally like Nick. Those, like you know, he, I, like they they don't they're not around. You know, I know uh, there's another one that was part of the same network as Nick, like who hit me up recently for a job intro, like who was like the king, like bigger than majestic casual um had this whole network and he hit me up for a job intro and i was like i was like I, dude like i don't i don't fucking i can't get people a job in the music industry today like <laughs> that doesn't that's, everything is fucked but yeah those bloggers thankfully are not like who just curate bullshit from publicists that's not a thing anymore and the the people who have jobs are like sean ronaldo who write like every friday he writes like pages on the new releases. I mean, it, it's like eight pages, his updates and his wife also like, it's great. Like you read Philip Sherburn. It's like, I, I read his writing to understand music better. Not like yeah. what's cool out there. Like turn me on to some new shit, Philip Sherburn. No, no, no. Like I read all the words slowly because I'm going to understand like what, what's going on more. They're so smart. And I think that's all that's going to matter moving forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also like the idea that anyone who, you know, it's not like there's an automatic reward for having a newsletter. So anyone who takes the time to continually do that, like another example is Todd Burns. He's not so much writing about music, but more the music um, journalism side of things. I don't know if you read his newsletter. 
No, I got to check it out. I'm writing. It's called like the music journalism uh, newsletter. I'm not. I'm not a music journalist, so I'm not. I don't really have any skin in the game in that regard. But he pretty much every week just interviews different music journalists for their story and how they do what they do or did what they did. And oh, that's cool. So it's it's interesting, and I you know I'm I have absolutely no ambition to be a music journalist, uh, but I still find it really interesting. And it's also good to see whose voices you yeah, might want to sort of give music to. You know. Yeah. Yeah, for me, one of the things that I thought about when starting this was, was I spoke to some some friends who are writers or editors, and I have a few of them on. I've already had a few on and, and have more coming because I want to sort of explore, like, what should uh, – I, I, I was working at Apple when we – you know, with Beats 1, and we made a lot of really cool shows there, and we made a lot of, you know, noise, I think, also. Since then – most of the platforms that have come out and the expansion of podcasting, I think has become mostly noise infotainment at best. And in starting this, there were iterations of this beforehand that were, were like bigger, more constructed, like more like, or I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but, but just like, yeah, like, and, uh, and then this, the way that I ended up starting was, through the idea of like I want to explore what how we should use this form how we should be communicating what's responsible what's productive for people rather than just like some bullshit content for people you know to give people like awareness which is worthless so I've been talking to, I've been having a lot of these conversations like you are referencing about like what What's the, the the good way to do this? And yeah, that, that's why I, th- I think these names are, are really smart. Um, like I think about my music releases right now and I just, I just want one article. Like that's, I'm not going to do a PR campaign. I'm just going to talk to one. Like I told for my film that's, that's going to be showing soon. Like I want Natasha who's on, who was on my show this weekend. Who's this amazing New York writer. I want her to just interview me and that's it. And like one article and whatever else comes, it comes. I don't care. Anyone can write about it, but like, I don't want to do any blasts. I don't want to do any of that shit. I just want one super quality article that is like work that is like artistic in its own way. Like the way that the music can be artistic. The writing should be artistic too. Not just like, I don't want any more fucking newsletters just like telling me these are the things that you can consume today. Like we got enough shit. Like I got fucking endless Spotify playlists of stuff that I haven't been able to listen to. Like I either want someone to elevate my understanding of it or like, that's it or nothing. I don't care. Yeah. I also have a sort of sneaking suspicion that um, as everything becomes decentralized, and all these people have their own little, you know, newsletters and voices that someone like Red Bull will come along and start a new RBMA sort of thing and then swipe everyone up, which I don't know if that'd be bad in the end. I don't know. Cause at the moment it seems like the only places left for at least electronic music is RA and to a lesser extent pitchfork, but cause mm-hmm. facts stop writing and I don't know what accelerator does anymore. I don't think anyone knows. And uh, yeah, they're really Juno plus is gone. Every yeah, yeah, so it's kind of a monopoly at the moment. So it'll be like this big sort of behemoth monopoly if they survive all this, and then all these little newsletters are all about. So I'm pretty, I'm sure at some point yeah. someone with money will come in and swoop it Somewhat all up, consolidate it. 
accelerator is still going they have a patreon i subscribe it's i think they're figuring it out i actually i'm gonna have john wander on the show to talk about it he's the founder of accelerator um i love accelerator i don't i'm i I don't really know what like the current you know model is uh because it's like they have a few features a week and then they have these like long lists that feel mediocre so i don't really i'm like i don't know yeah i don't know what happens does does the rbma because i mean how does that what do you think about brands involvement in electronic music after like we now know where that went that was the peak of it rbma heineken sprite (laughs) like what do you think brands should be doing with electronic music? Uh, I don't you know. I think on the one hand, yeah I, don't know. yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I could say steer clear and let things take its course without it. But on the other hand, I can't be in denial saying that like every festival that books electronic music isn't sponsored both by all this stuff, except for like a few very small things like free rotation and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. And then, I don't know, I guess it'll be a new world. Um, emerging into 2021 summer. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of really great clubs and record labels. Like, for instance, with me, I've done one, two branded events in my 10 years of doing this, I think. Um, and I've been able to make a pretty decent living and a good go of it. So it's possible to not do it. But then again, I've done two, you know? Mm-hmm. I did one fashion thing. I did one with a drink that I didn't know, but it was like a boiler room or something. It was a boiler room, yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's possible, but on the other hand, if you're going to get to a level of like, you know, Peggy Goo or uh, some, some you know, equivocal, equivalent huge name, yeah, eventually there's going to be brands in it because, you know, it's just such a scale I can't really comprehend, I guess. And right. then all these festivals now that are going to get like completely screwed by this summer, someone's going to have to bail them out to continue to next summer. Cause it seems like in a lot of countries, the government won't. So I guess brands will have to step into that role. Cause like, if I'm a, if I'm a festival in the UK and I have a really strong brand myself and most of my branding or most of my, you know, money that had built up for the last couple of years for this year didn't happen. And it, from what I've read, the UK isn't really bailing out festivals. Then I'll probably have to turn to some drink, you know? So if it saves a couple of great sure. festivals, then mm-hmm. fair enough. But it depends on how tasteful and intrusive it is, I guess. Right. And we know now, you know, audiences know. Like audiences are not going to, there's no trial period anymore for like brand intrusion. You know, that's like, that story's over. So it's got to be done right or not at all. Yet we're in a new world where, there's i guess there's sort of two camps it's like how many people are going to continue being able to make a living as you know djs and producers and are the are the big ones the guys who got accustomed to private jets and you know 50 to 250,000 dollar fees not even to mention the like you know the Steve Aoki's of the world like are those guys are Solomon and Dixon like going to be cool with just like making a quarter of what they made before. Like, I, I don't know. Are they going to just be like, no, we, so. you know, we, we had a run, like we're good. We're just going to do the clubs now. And like, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. 
They're going to want I that. Think, that yeah, perhaps some of them might do that. But, you know, I think the thing that points to the obvious answer to that was that video that went around at the beginning of all this, where all these DJs were like, think of our tour managers. Oh, yeah. And that was so, a really distasteful video. And then it got taken down like immediately with like, you know, it was like Seth Troxler and all these Martinez brothers, all these Ibiza people. And uh, like, they didn't even bail out their own tour managers. So like, I if they can't even like find the resources to do that, they're certainly not going to like take a pay cut and do something less, you know? I've never really understood the economics of this set. I understand the economics of the bigger guy, of like the mainstream people, like the EDM people, but I've always been rather confused and I've never really dug deep into it. But like, I guess like at the time that I had access to it, I kind of shifted my life and like I I, I went into more tech stuff, but like, I don't, when, when DJs like Seth, people like that, when they're making 50K plus a night and they're just, you know, it's a USB stick. They don't have the same costs that like the Steve Aoki's of the world do. I know what their infrastructure is. Like I, I've worked with a bunch of them. I don't understand where their money goes and why they're not super rich. It's the most efficient business model, like in the music industry, the huge underground, you know, the underground DJ Kings. Cause you, you don't need a just publicist like, really. I mean, I don't know. You could just look like Johnny Depp. Like he somehow spent all his money and he had like hundreds of millions, you know, like yeah. people spend money. I, I think, it, I don't think it's, are these guys, to... is that what they're doing? Are they just like stupidly fucking like, private jets and and just dumb shit like and and we just maybe don't... some i mean i think maybe some i mean i my 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 day job here for years was um training pretty big djs as a personal trainer oh wow and uh you know i'll never say any of the names who i'm referencing but like you yeah, know sure. just sometimes every tax season i would lose a couple of my biggest names because they hadn't saved for the tax payments that year and uh, they couldn't afford me anymore. So I was weird. just a personal trainer. So uh, maybe that's a thing. I mean, I was lucky. I was brought up with like very shrewd Jewish parents who had me like <laughs> saving it every Where are you dime. from? Toronto. Okay. Um, so like when I moved out to Berlin, I was 20. I always forget if I was 23 or 24. I was one of those two. Yeah. And um, the big speech they gave me was like, you can do this, but A, like, we'll never give you a dime, so don't ask. Okay. And B, there's no DJ pension, so like, budget, you know? And they'd already been on Sorry. my ass about the stock market and budgeting since my early 20s. Oh, that was my early 20s, but even before that. So yeah. I guess it's just something I've never like worried about. And I have a few friends who manage some EDM people and they just tell me about like the, like, the financial situation that's going on, where just like it's money in, money out. And right. I'm like, oh man, if I had that money coming in, like I would be. That's what is confusing to me is I understand that with EDM, it costs a lot of money to be one of those, to, to, to get in the merry-go-round, you know, and to stay in it, it continues, it never, it never lets up, but that's not the way electronic, you know, underground music works. You just, you're like Seth Troxler is like on autopilot until he fucks up. Like Jamie Jones was, you know, number one until he kind of just like, did some stuff that rubbed people the wrong way and now he's still huge but like it, it i don't know it was confusing to me and i never dug deeper into it but like i understood i i got wind of some of the financial situation for some of those guys this is a while ago now and i was just so confused because i knew how much i i would be booking them and i knew 
how much they got paid. And I knew how many people split that. And it wasn't a lot. You know, it was a, it was an agent who took regular agent money. There was a label manager who takes nothing, who works for fucking nothing. Uh, it, people would be blown away to know how much Leon makes to run the labels for all those guys. The same guy runs the label for everybody. And they give him not a lot. They should give him a lot more. <laughs> and the managers, you know, get regular manager rates and that's it. There's like, there's like nobody else. They, they pay a, you know, a TM. And I just don't understand how they don't have millions of dollars sitting around. Because I mean, they, they play every Again, day. I don't, but they don't like, or I, unless they. I don't want to go too deep into them because I don't yeah. know any of them personally. But uh, they could. I mean, Seth Chalkser does own a restaurant, so I mean, he has to have something <laughs> lying around. Yeah. But I think so, it's, I think I don't think it's exclusive to DJs. I'm sure if you did a deep dive in like um, an audit of most rich people at entertainment, <laughs> unless they have some good people in their corner, I'm sure there's some mismanagement going on. Same with sports sure. players. I mean, sports players is probably even worse, to be honest. Yeah, it's, well, that 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 gets out, and then those stories get and out. And so it's a shame. young, yeah, so much money. So but what I mean, do you yeah, it's going to happen to like the regular DJ that is not, you know, fifty thousand. Even even like like before you're at, or what do you think? You seem to think about this. This is actually like a good granular question, maybe. Like, what's the number that you need to? What's the rate that you need to make to be like putting money away as a DJ? Me personally, no, or anyone uh, it, it, collectively, like, like what's what do you think, like per night? Because people think about this, you know, how much money does a DJ need to make per night in order to like invest in themselves? I mean, I guess it depends completely on your city to city and your situation. Like, True. if I'm living in Berlin as a single person in their mid 20s, I don't know if. I, I, for my first few years here, I was living comfortably on 400 a gig and I didn't even have my travel paid for sometimes, but again, That's I'm like awesome. incredibly shrewd, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and I also was working four days a week, personal training when I could. Um, but if I'm living in London and I have a partner or a child or something, then obviously that goes way up. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, but I can say, what I think might happen is like, even during all this, I've still started getting offers for like 2021. Cool. And like late 2020, which I think is unbelievably optimistic. So obviously yeah. I think the, the big infrastructure, all these things, I think, honestly, I think a lot of the big clubs and everything expect everything to go back to the status quo and how it was just based That's on the some vibe of the emails, I'm getting from a lot some of the emails of I'm getting. That seems more likely to me, but you know, again, I have, <laughs> If you had told me a few weeks ago that these all the protesting would have started, I, I would not have thought that's it's a whole like, you know, it's year. funny, like, you know, um, like three weeks ago, everything was just Corona. And now I don't think I've seen a single Corona article the last week. It's so, so funny. I was I was literally like posting this morning, like about just in case you guys forgot. <laughs> I mean, justifiably so that this has taken the spotlight, of course, but great. Yeah, uh, it's like who knows what will you know who knows what will happen next week and uh some yeah. some you know horrible thing could happen somewhere that just takes everyone's attention to that so sure there's just yeah i have no idea what how any of that would, would you know trickle down into dance music and change that i got an email from uh, okay i don't want to there the, like there's a a dj chart that i report to that 
the guy who runs it emailed me the other day, like asking me what clubs I'm playing. And I was, I was like, what, what? Like, he's like, yeah, I know you're away, but you know, just seeing like where your residencies are right now. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm first of all, like, I, I, whatever. I, I was just so, it was so strange. And he was like, yeah, I've been hearing from a lot of people that things are getting back to normal, you know, and he named a bunch of States and I was just, it, it what I was like, what the fuck are you t-? like? No, that's not, <laughs> I was so confused. And he seemed, and we got into this, like I stopped, I stopped responding, but he just, he just doesn't seem aware of the disruption that's happened. He seems to think that like, it's any day now that like regular club nights are starting up. I mean, some people just don't read the news. I don't know. It's funny, like when this started in March, uh, my, you know, shared calendar with my like agent or whatever, it had reschedules for June. And I was like, that's obviously incredibly optimistic. And I had a festival I was supposed to play in June. And it was still scheduled as early as, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And then finally they were like, yeah, we got to, we got to postpone it to October. And I'm still thinking October is incredibly optimistic. Coachella is supposed to be October and I don't think anyone like no fucking way. No way. Yeah. So I, I said know. from I, the beginning, I said the same thing. I said, uh, when I'm, I'm in Mexico and in March, when the, when we had to decide, like, am I going to stay here? I was like, everyone said, okay, maybe let's try, let's see what happens in April and maybe you'll come back in May. And I was like, there's no chance anything's happening till September. And mm-hmm. I don't think it'll happen in September, but I think September will be the first time that we'll be able to make a logical call on like, l- l- like make a calculated risk. And that's, that's exactly what I think is, is happening where for me, it's like, do I want to go to the Venice film festival? I will make a calculated risk based on going to Italy and I'll decide. But before that, like, there's no calculated risk today. We're not in that phase yet. You're just, you're just, going into it because you feel like it mm-hmm. there's no information right now we're still in the middle of w- w- now the protests like yeah like you said we have no idea what happens next week the one I thing i am certain about and it's something i've talked to a lot of my dj friends about and it seems to be a uh, common thing theme among everyone is that everyone's kind of like enjoying this time off in a certain sense and doesn't plan to return to it in the way that they were even if the option is there now that's easy to say now, you know, with no offers coming in and no opportunity, but like if, you know, maybe if all the offers start flying in again for all these friends of mine, uh, yeah. they'll, they'll want to. I can, I can say from my point, I certainly plan to do a maximum, like absolute max, like 50 to 60% of what I did last year. Cause it's just, I was so burnt out. Um, and so what, what does that look like moving forward? Cause you, you've thought about it. You've talked to people about it. Like, what does that shift look like? Does that look like, distributing your time to other things, you know, like, like more of your day job? Does that look like expanding how you are an artist, a music artist, a DJ? Like, what does that look like? Cause you don't want to just make less money. Like that's yeah, not of course. the plan. Well, as I said, I'm shrewd, <laughs> but <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have, I've, I've been scoring films for the last couple of years and now I've really had a big break awesome. in that world, which I'm, so I'm scoring Congrats. a TV show right now. I'm not allowed to really talk about details of, but 
I'll be doing that until probably early next year, maybe longer. And so that'll be my life anyways. And I'm hoping that'll just sort of take over my life going forward. But if I'm another sort of, you know, everyone will just have to sort of, I think, find a way to do things. Most of my friends who are DJs either had a pretty interesting job before, or they have, you know, the skills of, I mean, at the end of the day, being an international DJ, I guess, is a business. So if I were to put together a resume now, it'd be like, I understand logistics, I understand branding, and I understand just unbelievably amount, unbelievable amounts of pressure and deadlines. And those are like all right there for skills. I maybe would have to learn coding or something, but I know a lot of DJs who already do know coding. So I think there'll be no problem with a lot of people shifting into some sort of thing where it's like, you know, they DJ a couple times a month, but they also have a job and they do freelance things. And uh, I but honestly feel like that's, that's healthier. Just distinctly, you, you think it's a shift away from reliant like DJing they're gonna just DJ less and do other things and I, yeah make your life broader yeah and I think also that this is sort of coincided with this current generation of like you know big DJs also kind of getting to a point in their age where they're starting families and stuff and so they want some more stability well that's why Dixon's and, got that private jet well there you go well we can't all be <laughs> Mr. Dixon but uh yeah, I think, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's a huge, this has been a real wake up call. Even like agents I know, and like, I'm talking like a few DJs I've been speaking to, like they're big DJs playing like, you know, 150, 200 gigs a year. And they're just, yeah, they don't want to go back to it. And they're like, you know, find some other way to make things happen. Yeah, the young people. So we're, we're I'm, I'm not, I'm 35, but we're like around the same age. And when i was 29 <laughs> okay uh, yeah so so you you saw similar things that i saw uh basically if you're over 27 i would say like you saw the you know 2011 2015 you know 2011 to 2015 period um i don't think 22 year olds today want to be djs i i don't know they 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 want to do djing is a thing that you get to do that's fun and everyone can be a dj but i think being a great dj that spends all their time djing and perfecting that and and making it your art i don't think something that 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 we have a do you think we have a new generation of, of 20 year olds who are going to start doing the same that's a good question and djing that's a very good question i haven't thought about that but i guess if you yeah i mean that's a, on the one hand in the greater world i don't think so but in england yes because when i go to right. england and i play in england the crowd is so young every time it's yeah. like 19 to 23 year olds and it's just such an ingrained part of so the culture So who's getting there. booked in England who's 23 years old? I have no idea. Not anyone yet, but I think there's a huge... But why not? Uh, I when I was 23, there were 23-year-olds who were big DJs. When yeah, I, I can't really think of any big DJs who were 23. There were big DJs who were 23. I mean, neither. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I think... I can't think of any big DJs that are 26. I can think of a few. Women. There's female DJs who are young. 
No, it's like Dennis Salta, Brayman Hamo. They're like 25. Oh, they're young? I didn't know. Okay. Oh, yeah, they're really young. Um, I mean, I just can't cool. think off the top of my head, but there's if they're all from the UK. I can't think of any really... Well, even in like Japan, like my friend Romy, Hiromi Matsubura, he's like really come up in Tokyo over the last few years. I think he's like 26, 27. And he's sort of like a protege cool. of uh, DJ Nobu. Um, so there, I think there's mentorship where it is, but I the UK, I think just based on like the age of the people who go to the clubs, the interest for it is in a much younger group. Whereas everywhere else, the interest for it is much Yeah, older. what's Berlin and, like? Yeah, so like I only really play at one club in Berlin uh, and they they generally Which don't club? let in pe- uh, Panorama Bar. Oh, that's okay, yeah. And they generally at the door don't really let in young people under like 23, 24. I don't know if that's an actual rule, but that seems to just be what it looks like in the crowd. And I, I experienced that firsthand because the first time I played there, I was 24 and I, I got like denied as I was mm-hmm. supposed to play there because I just looked so, like so young at the time. We all have to have that experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, fighting was, with a bouncer and being like, no, I'm out. supposed to DJ. <laughs> yeah. But um, when you go in there, like the crowd, I'd say it's average is like 28 to 35 maybe. So New York, there's New York, no they're much older too. young people in the yeah. same. Yeah, everyone's so old. You're, you're right. Maybe it is a thing that's going to grow out with this next generation. Like it had its moment in the same way it did in the 90s and it's going to sort of proliferate mm-hmm. and then some new thing will take its place. My uncle has a label called Nervous Records that is is like one of New York City's oldest, you know, consistently running house music labels. And they do events weekly now. And, you know, their DJs are Louis Vega, you know, Kenny Dope, uh, Oscar G, you know, old, old guys, same, same guys, like the whole time. They don't have young guys. They, they, they'll release singles that'll like go on track source, you know, they release tons of music. They're one of those electronic labels that just put out, puts out like, you know, tens of tracks a month. Um, and yeah, so, the, but, but it's like, you know, little one-offs, but like they're, they're people that really that play their nights are all not even they're they're older than me i'm 35 and they are they are like they look at me like i'm the young cat like i it's funny because i'll do like a thousand tickets myself but if i play with them i play for 250 dollars and i do an opening set when no one's there yet like they don't give a fuck about me or my crowd or anything like that and it's a completely different ecosystem. And my ecosystem is old. I don't know who has a, you know, when I've like dated young, like girls in their, in their twenties, like they go to the same, like if they like electronic music, like I ask them and, and they like the last, my ex-girlfriend, my favorite thing was like when we first met, she didn't know that she had been going to my parties for a while. And like I asked her who you know what her favorite like DJs and nights were and and she referenced one of mine not realizing that it was mine and I was like was complimented by that but it was also like disenchanted a little bit and that was like five years prior like no one has come up in this world like house like I just don't I don't know if people play house music well I think another indicator too is um I I did this thing on Instagram for a while during their peak quarantine where I every week would just answer people's questions about production on uh, Instagram. Cool. And I would do 20 questions every Thursday. And um, I left the lines open and the amount of questions I received was like unreal. 
And I, one day I made the mistake of saying, here's, you can send stuff to my SoundCloud and I'll, I'll always listen to it. And I still, to this day, I'm just getting endless amounts of demos from kids who are like 18, you know? It's amazing. But they're all from the UK, all of them. Wow. Not all the people who sent me questions were, they were from all over the world, but- um, the Producers. All the producers, not all, but like very heavily favored to the UK, young UK men. Hmm. Um, and actually very Scottish centric, to be honest. So it's definitely like, I think it's just so ingrained there that DJing and club nights and the whole continuum, if you will, like mm. it's there. It, I mean, I can't speak of it for Canada because I don't know what's, I mean, the glory days of Canadian rave and club world are gone, I think. Okay. We had our moment for sure. <laughs> But um, I only yeah. know of commercial stuff in Toronto at this point. I'm not sure what the underground stuff is like. I couldn't tell you either, but yeah. that's not true. I have a few people I could tell you about, but it's definitely like you a know, thing in the UK. my other, I have one friend who I've spoken to about this recently who just put out, she, she goes by Raven, uh, Rec, Records, R-E-K-I-D-S, just put out her first EP, but she's young and she's from Toronto and just moved to Berlin to make her, you know, to move into a, a proper career of this. But she left Toronto because she was like, there's no techno here. <laughs> oh, that's a feel I feel for her. That's she moved here for during this. Like, I can't even, yeah, I can't even yeah. like comprehend what that would be like. Um, no, nah, she moved like a year ago or something. So it's even that, brand. like, yeah. I'm in a, I'm feel very lucky and fortunate. Like I worked very hard to have the year I had last year, but it's sort of, I feel like I really put myself out there last year, I guess. And then this year I was planning to sort of chill more. So, okay. I, but then it comes back to the question so you asked about that album. Out. Why did I put that out in March or April, whenever it was? It was like, I'm just, I was planning to just chill this year. I have this body of work. Let's all just, you guys can enjoy it if you want, but I'm not, I was not planning to put that out and tour it. I was planning to put that out as just sort of like an artistic statement, maybe do, the plan I'd, I'd been discussing with my agents was to maybe put together like 10 live shows with strings to do it. But I mean, the stress of putting that together would have been immense, but it would have been logistically or travel wise way less stress because I wouldn't have to like go to bed at seven in the morning and do that eight times a month or something. I would have done it 10 yeah. times over 10 weeks and uh, probably done it at a reasonable hour as well, you know? Right. Made it more of a concert setting. So that was my goal for this year. Anyway, so I feel comfortable. I feel very fortunate that I got to experience the big DJ life last year, which is probably gonna be the peak of my DJ life because I it opened me into that world and I realized it wasn't necessarily that's a path fine. I could sustain exactly. or go down. But that's I, what I feel a lot of people see. But I feel really bad for people who've been here hustling and working, whether they got here like your friend Raven last year or two years ago, and this was potentially like the year they could finally like do it, mm -hmm. you know. Like, I don't know if you read Sean's piece about uh, Minor Science and like he put out an album this year and he's been underrated for years. And uh, I love the Minor Science album and, and I read the piece, yeah. Yeah, and his but talk about club it hit after club hit yeah. and then finally put that album together. I know I know him, he's been working on it for years and uh, God, you guys have been heart, label you know? mates before, yeah. Yeah, it just really breaks my heart. And this, I can't even imagine how many people have had that experience this year. Um, so with my own I thing- I have him on the show. Yeah. Connect um, us. Yeah. Well, he'd be interesting to talk to because he used to work at RA. So he has a whole insight into like Love demographics it. and all kinds of stuff. 
That's cool. But, but yeah, just with the thing, I just, I was playing to sort of coast this year anyway. I knew I'd be working on this TV thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I also know that I'm able to make a living doing personal training or whatever have you. Um, so I was planning to just coast for the rest of the year and do all that sort of thing. I was going to, I had a, I had gigs lined up through the end of the summer, but for the fall, I was planning to you really were like just... diversified and you were, you were solid. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome to hear because I've had a lot of conversations with, you know, I have a lot of DJ friends that just, so, okay. So this is sort of a, like it bridges something that I wanted to talk to you about just artistically where you have gone from what could be called, you know, making dance music, club music, whatever you want to call it to like, you know, your last two albums are, are, are something in a whole nother level. And there's hints of it in your earlier stuff, but these two albums I think are, you know, there's cinematic elements. It's, it's a whole different, different cinematic world, I think different sonic world. And to contrast you and everything that you just said also to the moment with a lot of my friends and, and I'm sure yours DJs, like it's been a long time coming and COVID really kicked it over the line that like DJs can't get by just like making beats for clubs and like expecting to get booked forever based on these like, you know, derivative works that they put out forever. And, you know, I've been encouraging friends like, yo, make some shit that's like expressive and like actually interesting rather than just like making fucking club music every day. And my friends who have not taken that step yet are stuck. So it's a different, you know, as, as you just described your position of how you could coast, it's a very different position than a lot of people are in where they have not diversified themselves yet artistically, nor, you know, economically, infrastructurally, all of that. Well, yeah, I should, I should say when I say coast, I don't mean I'm like sitting on a no, giant no, cushion, I, I, just I coasting, but I mean, like, I, I was planning to leave the mean. rat race of like monthly Instagram gig posters and all this nonsense. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, okay. Like, going back like many years before I even knew what DJing was like I had a I was always into sports and music and like in high school I had a whole bunch of different groups of friends just because I had many different interests which a lot of, I realized towards the end of my high school experience that that was not normal like people really had their interest and their clique and I remember once one day my teacher said you're a real renaissance man and I didn't know <laughs> what that means so I looked that up and I really actually got really excited about that concept and then the a few years ago i really got into mika levy if you know oh, her work yeah. big time yeah i've like, yeah. yeah and like she was doing film scores she had an album on ninja tune with under a band. the skin score she, is like one of the it might be the best ever. yeah and like she'll just randomly like she did a random like anime score that was great like she and then she has her own solo work beyond film stuff so i got really into yeah, that she's idea got like an indie rock band she's got an alter she's she's got an electronic project she's got her film scores she's got tons of different collaborations all over the place awesome. yeah so I, yeah so her and like there was a few other people that sort of were in a similar vein that just sort of i had it this vision of building a universe i guess not necessarily a universe that like connects to each other but like it's like a cool i, I used to train this guy vatican shadow and he's pretty and like in one universe but he was in a cult he was in a pretty popular band called cold cave that like yeah. played Coachella and he's like one of the most revered noise musicians and he makes techno as Vatican shadow. Uh, and he just had this discography that was so vast and like 
crazy that you couldn't really dive into it. And I started having this vision like, well, I don't think I'll ever do that much, but it'd be cool to like, by the time I'm 45, look back on all this and like, I have my dance music stuff, my film stuff, and I, it's a secret between you and me, but I, I love bluegrass and I play banjo. So maybe that'll be a thing I do one day, but, uh, um, you know, so, and then I, I had this background playing viola because I played viola for nine years. And I know just from that, I could have, I transferred that to cello and uh, violin, which are in different clefs and viola, but enough for me to fiddle around the way I did with this album. So with this album, it was kind of like, um, let's, let's see what that goes like. Cause I knew this album wasn't going to be a dance music album necessarily. It was going to be like a uh, string quartet with maybe some sort of dance music effect to it. But um so now that, is, that was like the next part and of that. And yeah. for the next album after this, I have I no idea. Wonderful. But I uh, yeah, cool I mean, it, it's, thinking that way. but it's interesting too, because the dance music thing, the last few years, just so many times I could see friends of mine or other people just getting so much further ahead in the DJ rat race because they were so tied to like their sound and like their, the image of that sound. And like that sound happened to hit a wave. Like I remember the last, I've always loved trance, like, you know, like, I, I just always play trance, but then the I whole think trance. Lorenzo Senni is a major like reference point I would call out on on your music. That I feel like you're definitely. I would I would totally buy that you're a big trance set. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like just with my DJing, it's very trance centric, and it's been that that for years. But then the last few years, um, I noticed that tr this whole trance meets techno wave really came about. You know, the Copenhagen scene and all these big things happening like emily lens and stuff mm -hmm. and um that it, it was really like blown up yeah that's like yeah it was, like, it was a wave but in the same way that uh, a couple <laughs> of years ago the minimal was a wave you know um right. so i just realized that like these career dj careers they they're gonna be so short because you're so tied to a single sound and i i've had agents over the years tell me that i need to focus more i you know and i one of the reasons, like, it's funny, like, I've seen so many of my friends go so further ahead in terms of, like, the amount of bookings they've had, but I've been fine with it because I don't want to necessarily join a wave. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's, I have friends like Avalon Emerson who just, she's not necessarily part of a wave either. She's just a sick fucking DJ, you know? Um, so you don't always have to yeah, join she, a wave. But she's got, like, a thing to her. She's got, like, a singular quality. Yeah, there's something but, about her that people really like her. Yeah. Different but for the majority of that, yeah. For the majority of dance music, it's very much like you're tied to a scene, you're tied to a sound, and you're right. in a wave. You know, I just always want to avoid that. And if you look at my old discography, like under my old alias, like it's really all over the place. It's still dance music, but now yeah, with the you Nathan put out K three stuff, EPs with with Aus, with, with you know yeah. AUS, like totally different sound that like yeah. features you know bass lines, like yeah. <laughs> so with the Nathan McKay stuff, I, I wanted it all to be sort of conjoined in a way, but um, never, what's it, it's always wanted to be like, what's he going to do next? I know like it'll be sort of in a similar sound universe, maybe with terms of like melodic sensibility, but I, you know, I, I don't want people to know exactly like, oh, like I don't, if the worst nightmare for me would be like, if I went on YouTube one day and I saw a tutorial, like how to make Nathan McKay bass or something, not that I have. Uh -huh because that would imply I have a signature base and like, you know, right. you could go, I could go on YouTube today and type in like, I don't know, some big deep house guys bass sound and like there'd be things breaking that down. And that means you're tied to that. I, that yeah. That's not what I want. And lucky me is the perfect label for that because they're so diversified sonically.
and they really let you like go wild. That's really cool to that's that's a cool way to look at it. Yeah. I, I love the label too. I did a bunch of work with them when uh when when I was at Apple we greenlit like a ridiculous campaign for Bauer that we did the entire all <laughs> they made this it came through Ben and Mason and then through Dom. Uh, Dom's a force it, of nature. Yeah, we did the whole thing. And it was just, it was really good creative work. So I was like happy to push it. And it felt, yeah, those videos are awesome. And those, like every video is really, really good. And I was happy to be a part of that and happy to <laughs> give it. It <was> absurd. <laughs> that, was, that was just a time that those things could happen. I don't think they could happen today. Like we did like 10 videos or something and paid for all of them. It was crazy, but they were good. Maybe. So I think, are, sorry, I'm just on that point. Like I think yeah. as we were talking yeah, about yeah. earlier, maybe like after all this, I think COVID's shown that people want the arts. Yeah. It, yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting because people clearly want the arts and like the companies that are keeping the stock market alive right now are all are like Apple, Facebook and, online services so maybe they will yeah. somehow bail out the arts but i don't know if i feel comfortable with that but i could see that happening totally well okay i mean it's a patronage model is what we're talking about and then this is like what i've been talking about for a few months now because i think it's going to happen no matter what we've had this um brand patronage model but i think the patronage model has to ha you know we've had that with red bull and stuff like that and you know everyone below doritos and shit um but I think it must happen with audiences as well. So the patronage model needs to go like the Patreon kind of thing where we just need, we need the world to be in a receptive position to the arts such that they just think, I want this person to create stuff and it costs something and I need to back it, period. And that's it. it it's not value for value. That, that, that's, I guess, like the thing that I keep. And I wrote an article on Music Business Worldwide about this, like not, not specifically about this, but more about just like we need to really take this moment to seize our creativity and connect maker, you know, creatives with audience. And that's it. The rest of the system is is meaningless. It's just a support system to connect those two. And we need to stop making things for that system. And we need to reassess first principles of like, what are we making? What are we listening to? Why? And I think that the patronage model will be necessary. I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, I think that like the way that Larry Jackson, who hired me at Apple, like he had it right. It's no longer that. If it goes back to that, it will be awesome. Where my, like my job was very simple. I got to, you know, we built the tech for Connect. That was about, you know, a quarter of my job. The rest of it was go fill it with cool shit. And that meant walking around, going directly, just making a lit, just thinking who are the coolest people in the world and going and talking to them and saying, what do you want to do? And sometimes they'd come to me like with Bauer. Uh, and that was it. And I would go to Skrillex and just be like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you have that you need paid for that like we can make exist? And we would do that. And then it became also like lending infrastructure, putting different creatives together. So it would be like, I want to work with this director. Oh, cool. I know him. Let me, and that was it. That was our, 
a role and we didn't do things that, you know, I didn't like how title did it where they would cherry pick things that already existed and they would pay to put a wall in front of them. We would only do things that didn't exist yet and make them exist and make them better and bigger. So I love that kind of model. And then I think the regular sustainability needs to become like, like if you're not diversified as an artist, like you, you talked about how you're diversified, but like, if you're not like, you just need, you know, you need a group of people who just really want you to keep creating things and they need to support it. And like, that's it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't see another way. Yeah. I mean, I guess also this might crush the entire image of this. Like when I moved to Berlin, there was this whole shame about having a day job or a side gig or anything. And sure. I hope one of the things I hope from this is it wakes people up that there is no shame in that. And like, you don't need That's to be really, the yeah. sole starving artist to be cool. You just, you know, and like budgeting to me, like budgeting's cool because it allows you to keep doing your art for longer and not having to worry about where your next paycheck is. If you, you know, things like this. So I hope um, that's true. You know, I think I, I always thought like less serious than a lot of the other DJs because like I didn't rely 100% on DJ fees. Mm -hmm. There was never a time where I, except when I was like young, when I was just like making 300 bucks a night and that was like my life. But like shortly after, within a year of that, I was booking things and I was doing different things and like I would get paid in three different ways. And that always made me feel like not, it always made me feel smarter, but also like not legit. Like I wasn't all the way in and these other people were. And I don't know, maybe that's stupid. I don't think so. I think that has been one of the great follies of, I don't know about other scenes, but at least with the scene I've been in and DJing, it's, you gotta be a lifer or in it right. to be considered legitimate, but I don't think that's fair or true. And if anything, I think it makes like that, DJs that's been care that much I've more about it. Life. I think it makes it more interesting. Like if, if you know a DJ story, they've worked their ass off for years to be able to have their shot. I think that's cool rather than like these people who move here and um, right. just sort of become this miserable party thing. I don't know. Yeah, I was never I, a big partier. I it doesn't even have to be a partier, but like the people who move here and it's just like, you know, uh, that's, the, that's the entire thing. And, but then it, it just creates such a strangle on sustainability for your own DJ career or musician career sure. and whatever. It doesn't have to be in Berlin either. It can be anywhere. But if you come somewhere and you, yeah, I think it's much cooler to like have diversification in your income and your interests. Me too. And I just felt like I wasn't a card carrying member of the club because I didn't, I didn't do the things, you know, I didn't. Um, yeah. I've always felt that way. Like I've just been, I've been like invited to the gathering, but I'm not a member of the club, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Because I, I was always also of, doing other things. It could solve tons of mental health issues too. Cause if you don't have to worry <laughs> about all this stuff, then like I, my first year here, I washed dishes at some restaurant uh, every, every week. So that early 
seven to eight month period when I first moved here, my mental health was way better than it would have been otherwise because I knew I could fall back on that. And I didn't feel pressured to have to just pump things out and stuff. Did make me rich, but it definitely helped me. Yeah, it sustained. Do you think about mental health a lot with like your personal training, like with your, you know, you have DJ clients, like, do you talk to them about these things? Or is it just well, personal training? definitely to clarify, I have not been training anyone during Corona. <laughs> okay. But, um, well, that's not true. Like I, before this all hit, I, I bought a bunch no, of mental weights. health didn't start now, you yeah, know, no. mental health, but, um, problem. I sort of, because of how busy I was last year, the, the personal training really took a back seat. But before that point, yeah, it, it was interesting because a lot of the people I was, I was training were in my eyes, incredibly successful and much older than me as well. And yeah, mm-hmm. mental health became a huge part of it. And a few of the bigger clients I had one in particular, who's like a very known techno guy. Um, he completely got off drugs and alcohol and like had a whole new worldview about after, within about two years of working together and lost about 10 wow. kilograms. Wow. And I had a few other stories like that, but sometimes it just doesn't like click. But yeah, I mean, I think for me anyways, I like lifting weights. It's my intro. I, I just like it, but it's also my way to clear my head, you know? Um, so I think it's- Is that like your meditation? Or do, do no, you I still have meditate meditation sometimes practice? too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not like amazing, but I still try and do about 10, 15 minutes a day. Uh, my but, meditation teacher always tells me, don't, you know, don't criticize yourself. Just keep doing it. And, uh, you know, don't, don't grade yourself on like the quality of your meditation. Just, just keep going. That's just, good. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when I say I'm not good at it, I mean, my consistency, up like it. last year I was the very same. good. Yeah. I had about four months of doing it every day last year and I was like pretty excited about it, but then yeah. life has taken over. But yeah, for me, it's like, not only is it meditative, but it's also a goal to strive for that's outside of DJing. So like, I know that okay. if my next release doesn't necessarily click, assuming I don't get injured or something, I'll definitely hit my goals as far as whatever they are in the gym. If I work hard for the next six weeks, you know? So it's a nice sort of goal to set for yourself that no critic or label or anything else can get in the way of. And I think for a lot of people that was very helpful for the people I trained. Mm -hmm. Like if you came to me and your goal was to squat a certain amount of weight or to lose a certain amount of weight um, and you attained that goal by yourself. I mean, I was sort of just standing there to be honest, they mostly did everything. I just sort of helped a little bit, but um, then yeah, I mean, that's a great achievement, I think. And then they can be proud of that without like there was one, one of the other people I trained was another, I mean, they're all techno people. It pretty much started with one big techno guy who told their techno friends. And then you and got, then, yeah, yeah, that's how it works. But one of them was like, yeah, he, at that point, he had been a huge name and he'd started to sort of fall in the cracks a little bit as this new wave of younger people had come in. But he was also able to achieve all these goals that were completely separate from DJing, like leaving drinking and just getting stronger and losing his, uh, you know, years of drinking belly or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that gave him a whole new purpose and um, excitement while everything else was not necessarily as peak as it was. That's I think that's so good for your mental health. Incredible, yeah. It's more about diversifying your your value system. Yeah, and it makes you not have to, val- I mean, I got caught up in that for a while for sure when I was like seeing my self-worth as whatever my schedule was or what clubs I was at. And, uh, and then I got over that once I refound myself but um 
yeah it's like a nice. great way to like what what era was that for you like how long ago was that that was around like capsules pride when that came out like the akira thing okay i got kind of wrapped that was when i was like in berlin for just about a year and i got really wrapped up in this idea of like i put all my cards in this basket of moving to berlin and but then I, that's around also when i started training people and um finding other ways to make money and things like that. And I, re I realized, like, I remember during that period, I would come home quite often being like, how do people make money? And like, <laughs> I was so month to month, like it was pathetic. Like my, my costs for living at that point were like 700 a month with food and everything. And I still couldn't make it work. But that was because I put all my eggs in the DJ basket and I started to view myself as a failure because I hadn't quite figured that out. So once I refound my weightlifting practice and then started to take note of other skills I could maybe make a living off of one of which was you know the knowledge I had from years of weight like I used to be a pretty serious weightlifter so I had years I had the knowledge from that to pass that to the growing sense of wellness in the DJ community I could do that and then I got back into investing and things like this so uh, once I had the money to play with um, yeah and like it really saved me to, to remember that like you, just because you didn't get booked six times that month or whatever it's you're not worthless and, uh, and you that's important for a lot of people because I have a lot of friends who like you remove their two nights you know their two gigs a week and like they're completely destabilized both emotionally uh, financially and not just the hit of of losing that gratification but also the practice the thing that they get to do to feel good and be around people in a positive way is removed so I have friends who are at protests right now that I know have just been sort of like drinking themselves to sleep for three months that are at protests. Like, do they really care about Black Lives Matter? Like, sure. They don't not care about it. They don't like not think they're not anti, but they don't really give a shit. This is not their concern. They're focused on other things or not focused enough on anything. Um, yet, they're out right now protesting gathering you know organizing and and i've spoken to a few of them and like they're honest about like yeah i've just been really low and this is helping me feel like i have a purpose purpose is everything i mean i'm very lucky in that i guess i've always sort of just have a well that's not true i've had drive since um, I was, I had a stint in like an army program when I was much younger and that really gave me a sense of like drive and purpose. So I've always been able to sort of cultivate that. And I forgot it during that first year here in Berlin. I didn't party or anything. I just sort of, I didn't have money to party, but I, <laughs> I just sort of, um, got caught up while I, I felt like all my DJ friends were rising while I wasn't, which is, again, I just sort of took a different route. I don't consider myself like a, you know, a known big DJ guy, but I definitely consider myself a composer slash producer more but i've also been able to carve a decent little niche in djing and making a living off that i you know but um yeah I, i'm very lucky that i've always had like a very easy sense of finding purpose and drive ever since my late teens i guess so even if i hadn't had this film uh, tv stuff to work on during this i definitely i mean when this corona stuff started even from australia i ordered a ton of weights and fitness stuff because i was planning to just like knowing into that. that right yeah yeah and like um for the past two years i mean I've been so busy the last few months I haven't had time, but I've, I've taken an hour a day to do Japanese classes online. Oh, wow. Without any really- Do you meat. drink tea? Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't really have any 
reason to be learning it because I, you know, nobody here speaks it with me. <laughs> I yeah. just really wanted to see if I could. Um, wow. But now I really need to start learning German finally, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, mean I'm just purpose is everything. Spanish I think. Is, is all I have. Can you speak Spanish? Uh, yeah, but My not great. Peruvian. I, I, her, her mom oh, wants cool. me to start learning Spanish. Peruvian, I can I can get by with Peruvian Spanish. You know, there's different dialects, so there's yeah. some countries that I can speak to really, like Colombia and Mexico. I can I, I'm fine, uh, but if I go to Cuba, if I go to you know, well, obviously Brazil, Argentina is really hard for me. Um, yeah, but Peru is like doable. Uh, Chile is is harder. Um, but yeah, I can speak Spanish here. I'm not great, but I, I learned it when I was a kid and just never lost it for some reason. I don't know how, but I get by. Um, yeah, so that's my next goal, I guess. How are you teaching yourself Japanese? Uh, it started on Duolingo and Duolingo I still do bullshit. that. Well, I start, well, it was for me at least. It, it was very are you getting with it? Japanese. Are you keeping it? Well, it was, it was bullshit with German for sure, but with Japanese, okay. it was super helpful to learn really? the, three, uh, the three alphabets. Okay. So I started with that. Because I, I, I did a couple Duolingos, like Italian and French, and it was like gone right away as soon as I stopped. Yeah, so I, I did a whole year of doing Duolingo an hour a day on uh, Japanese, and I learned wow. the katakana and the hiragana alphabets, and kanji will be a lifelong thing, but it really was good. And then I bought a couple books. I bought... Um, Genki, which is like the standard Japanese textbook. And then I have this other one, uh, Japanese, the manga way, which is like a giant manga that teaches you Japanese. Amazing. And then I just have Japanese friends that I kind of like bounce off of. And they're just like, you suck. And I'm like, thanks. But I can like, I went to Japan for five weeks at the end of 2018. And that was oh, after great. only a, well, that was only after a year of Duolingo and I could get around pretty well. Like I couldn't have like a deep conversation, but I could Read the signs really that I need cool. to read and get around. But yeah, that was just from Duolingo. So the Japanese one's great. It's different with like a foreign, like an actual foreign language, like an Asian language rather than I was learning, you know, other romance languages. Like, and if I'm going from English to French or Italian, maybe it's kind of pointless. But if you're learning something that's totally foreign, like Japanese, maybe it works. But I've never tried I learned Chinese for a year in high school, but I didn't keep any of it for some reason. I just kept Spanish. I don't know why. And my German yeah. on Duolingo was useless. German, I, I've been, I was reading um, a Milan Kundera book and it talks a lot about, about goat. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it or, you know, Gota, goat, you know, the, the poet um, and how the German language doesn't make any sense. And that's part of why Germany has failed over and over again to take over the world because the language would never would never work. No one, no adult, a children, a, a child could learn German, but adults start to learn German and they just like they're like, wait, this is stupid. Like, why does your language work this way? And that would be part of why one a new a new culture would not want Germany to rule them. Interesting. I just I never thought heard that, that was such a wild way to think about like, you know, World War One, World War Two, and stuff like that. Um, okay, shifting gear entirely. I, I have like two topics I really wanted to get. Uh, like talks, yeah, sorry, we, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Not at all. No, no, no. This is all not, not ranting. Um, I, I, oh, yeah. It's wait to so tea uh, before I go into other shit. Like, 
are you into like you drink tea like i'm not like, a do you do like like japanese I, like chinese tea or do you get like whatever's in the store no I'm, i definitely order decent quality green tea but i definitely couldn't tell you like the names of different leaves and stuff i'm definitely not a connoisseur but um I yeah can, i go to I'll, my i go to I my can local happily Asian get you into it if you uh if you're interested i can i can yeah, send me a few recommendations stuff. yeah i actually I picked up a really to. my friend got me a really good um tea collection or it's like some sort of local la based matcha green tea and i brought it back to berlin she got me like 96 enough for 96 bags or tea uh, cups of tea and like i'm almost gone but man it's like oh, really makes me shake <laughs> i don't i don't know what the things are but i just go to my I mean, local any if it's I'll give you some links, but yeah, but like if you speak Japanese and you've spent time there, like it, I, like I would love to expose you to some really, some really good stuff. Cause you, yeah, like knowing the leaves, knowing like where the different regions of Japan, um, you know, China is a whole nother story, but in Japan alone, uh, you just have really green tea. Um, there's black tea also, but like it's green, like 99% is green and yeah, just understanding the different regions and the different tastes and, and profiles that you get from each region and why is, is really wonderful. Like understanding like this is a flat region. This is a mountainous region. This has a lot of sun. This is colder. And the tea reflects that. And it's a wonderful way to learn about a, a physical place, a culture, a group of people. It's cool. I love, I love tea in that way. And I love turning people onto it. Um, but I wanted to get your take on the digital landscape. Like, we talked about Bandcamp Fridays a little bit. You've been like, I've been getting your music on Bandcamp, not Spotify, like pretty much like forever, I guess, like through whiteies and all of that. What, what, you know, maybe 2016, I don't know. Um, and you know, what, what do you, what do you think of Beatport? Any of the other, like, what, what do you think of the digital landscape for, for your music, for DJs, for electronic music? Well, I had an interesting thing happen last night in regards to this. I was at a dinner with some of my girlfriend's friends. Uh, she's an architect and they're all architects and stuff. But they were all asking if they could hear my new album on Spotify. And I said, yeah, sure. But um, I prefer, I, I sort of mentioned Bandcamp and none of them knew Bandcamp. Really? And then it really clicked how much of a bubble I live in. <laughs> so yeah. obviously. I was going to say that earlier when you were talking about like this, you know, you were throwing your music into this like maelstrom of Bandcamp Friday. I, I was going to, we got like sidetracked, but I was, I was going to say like, just FYI, like there's a very tiny group of people who consider this like Bandcamp Friday is crazy. Like we go nuts. Like I have a fucking, I have 20 unlistened to emails from previous Bandcamp Friday, but like most people don't, most people don't know that Bandcamp Friday is a thing. We live in this bubble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I couldn't tell you the first thing about Spotify. I, I don't know what they pay out. I don't know anything about it. I don't personally, I, I use it a little bit. Actually, that's not true. Um, so you're not like pushing playlists and stuff like that. No, I've never made a playlist. Um, I have it because my girlfriend has it and she put up, we have it on, a, on my phone now too. So I, I can use it for just sort of specific songs while I'm out buying groceries. But um hmm. I don't know anything about streaming. To be honest, my most used thing to listen to music is YouTube or Bandcamp because there's so many albums on YouTube that just I can't find anywhere. And I'm not about to drop 100 euros on Discogs. 
Yeah. But I don't know. I guess I think I live in a bubble because every the two things I check every day are Discogs and YouTube uh, to find all my music that I want. And it's all so obscure and weird that uh, it doesn't really apply to my own things. From As for, far as my own music, I don't know. Like, I put my stuff on Bandcamp. It's on Spotify. But my music's always been interesting. I've talked to Dom at Lucky Me about this. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but like when you break down my numbers, I guess... I mean, this might be getting into it too real with it, but um, no, go. I don't really have anything that's like a hit in terms of like numeric value on a streaming service, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I have one remix I think that has like two million plays, but that's from like years ago. But like, as far as like my more recent work, I think that one that one of the max is out at like two hundred fifty thousand, which is fine, I guess. But I don't think it's anything to like call my parents about <laughs> compared to like artists who have more. But all of my, everything I do physical sells out incredibly fast. So that leads me to believe that a, maybe I just have a very engaged small audience, but at least they're engaged. And I've been sort of weighing that with myself. Like, would I rather just have stuff that's engaged and sells out physically or so that when I put out this album, this was the first music I put out in a long time that had no physical component. Um, yeah, what do you albums. think is the, you know, we've had in the United States, at least one of the biggest plants, vinyl plants burned down. Uh, and, you know, physical is going to be seriously affected by COVID. Everything's backed up. Where do you see physical retail and music going now? Yeah, so I've been thinking about Record that Record stores because- are not going to be a thing, you know? I've been thinking about that too, because I just so happen to have a 12-inch cup excuse me, come out on my reissue label as COVID hit. It came out March 29th, which was like mm. peak, you know? Yeah. And it sold out in 20 hours. Wow, um, okay, so people are buying. And yeah, but I think I don't. I think it's a complete anomaly because- Where did you sell them out? On Bandcamp? Just on, like the, no, like the distributor or sold on out. Dis- I, didn't, I didn't even put it on oh, Bandcamp. It's, it's not where, on Bandcamp. Where do they sell? Where are people buying that? Uh, that's the thing too. Like usually my records have a really high sales rate in japan we couldn't get them to japan this year because you know covid and stuff so it was like i could probably break it down it was like juno bought a bunch like dj.de and just all the typical european you know club record stores but um yeah it was very interesting to me that people actually bought that so much that i just agreed to repress 500 copies and i only would do it if my distro like said like they are confident they can sell and they said this will definitely sell we're not taking any risks right now so awesome. that on the one hand shows me that if you have a good enough record with demand for it then yeah maybe it'll sell on the other hand if i pressed the world i'm going to hell for to a record i would not be confident in that selling maybe i don't know wait why do you think your reissue is going to sell but this one won't? just because with the reissue there's so much demand there's like 15 years of demand behind that you know because it's original copies goes for such astronomical prices with my new record actually no i take that back because people have been when i put that record out i actually got a decent amount of messages asking how can we support the record further okay if that makes sense yeah and then when i did all my instagram question answer things i did it for a month every thursday for a month and we did 100 questions together just me answering people's questions and a lot of people said how can i tip for this and i was like it's it's totally fine like i just takes me two hours every thursday um but people seem to want to support things right now and i clearly if you look at like do you know beverly glenn copeland 
I think I know the name. What yeah, he's a trans black man in Canada who put out an album years and years ago, and then it got reissued a few years ago and caught fire in like a very niche part of the music community. And I, I love it. Uh, but anyway, cool. there was a out. Kickstarter that went up online this week because he and his partner lost their home during COVID and needed some money. And it raised a hundred thousand wow. dollars in like days. Wow. And this is like a very niche musician in their eighties yeah. or late seventies. So I think people are willing to give even at a time like this when everyone's pockets aren't quite as deep and it's heartening. Um, so maybe the landscape will move more to, as you said, a patronage sort of thing where you, they give individually. I don't know anything about record stores. I listened to one podcast with a few people doing record stores and it painted a blurry picture. So I couldn't comment on that, but yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, records keep coming out patronage. in dance music. I think it'll be okay because these stores like DJ.de and Juno and Fonica, they're so dance music centric and dance music loves has an obsession with vinyl. So I think in that world, it will be fine. I can't speak for the wider music store like Amoba or things like that. But I think online, no brick and mortar stores will probably, if anything, thrive because people are yeah, still playing records. Bandcamp's doing doing better by, by yeah. a lot. I mean, I've been selling records off my porch here uh, during all this because oh, yeah. that, well, that reissue I put out, people, it sold out. So people wanted it and that's why I repressed it because I, I just had like at least 80. Uh, I put I put one thing on Instagram being like, hey, I've got like 10 spare copies of this in Berlin. Uh, feel free to hit me up. And I even Walk put a comment on Discogs. <laughs> so not only did I sell those, but I sold all the test pressings of that record. And I was just selling them here in Berlin. So, and I, I asked a lot of people like, why are you buying this right now? You can't DJ. They're like, oh man, I've gotten really into DJing at home. And one guy, him and his girlfriend bought copies respectively for themselves because they didn't want to share the same copy with DJing because it would get scratched. So it could wow, be a lot of people okay. just getting really into vinyl DJing at home as a hobby and that'll keep a lot of this. What do you think out. of the live streams and stuff like that? Oh God. I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't done a single live stream a because I don't own turntables, but B because it's just, I find it exhausting. There's just so much. And I understand people want to feel like they have a purpose in DJing and keep the community going. And I, I really advocate for all the fun fundraising that's been done. I think that uh, whether you like them or not, Boiler Rooms, I think they raised like $120,000, which is great. Uh, but man, it's it's just too much to keep up with. It's just too many. Yeah, I agree. It's fucking stupid. And if there's ever like a very <laughs> tangible way to feel like you're just throwing coins into the void um, yeah. for your career, that's it. Um, yeah. It's kind of crazy. Having said that, I just agreed to do a live stream for the Canadian Embassy for Canada Day, but I thought that was just like a different vibe. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. If there's like a cause and you're contributing, I mean, the your, not a cause, but like or whatever, you're, you're a DJ for the Canadian a, Embassy. <laughs> I mean, that, that's cool. Like, it, it just if there's like a, I don't know, if there's a platform, like if someone's asking, if someone's booking you, you know, that's another story. But people who are just like, I'm gonna be live on Instagram on you know Tuesday at 10 p.m. Like, grab a drink and tune in, and like, I think that's super whack. You know, it's just like. There's just too many. It, it was too yeah, many. Yeah, too much. Too much noise. Be essential. That's it. Well, it also, I mean, this is a horrible, I mean, I'm sure this is a horrible thing to say, but I got very fatigued at the beginning of all the streams because they all, you know, were doing great money for great causes, but I, I couldn't keep up with donations and I got really overwhelmed um, by just saying like, we're giving money to this, we're giving money to that. And it kind of was just like, oh God, there's so many horrible things happening. It's so crisscrossed. Yeah. 
and now with the protests, it's even, I mean, there's never been a, I think this is like peak convolution just <laughs> for humanity. Like shit is so confusing right now. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, much noise. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's the first time I can think of my life where I've just, I, I had to get rid of social media this week, actually off my phone. I haven't had it for two weeks, three weeks now. Even just from the COVID stuff, I couldn't imagine having social media during this. Um, so I've just been like donating money and uh, I mean, I, I volunteer here every week with a organization. I plan to just go back to doing that, but yeah, I don't feel I need to follow everything on social media so much. Social media right now is pretty crazy. I can imagine. Um, I mean, I've, I've been reading the newspaper. I, I read all about the K-pop stands to save the day <laughs> this week in the New Yorker. Oh, the K-pop people are true heroes. <laughs> That's insane. They today they donated one million dollars. The fans, not BTS, the fans of BTS donated one million dollars. Uh, and the way that they drowned out the all lives matter hashtag is so brilliant. It's just like they're so funny. They must be one of the most powerful groups on the internet collectively. By far. I mean, if not the they're the, the South Korean they, they, South Korea, you know, solved COVID before anybody. They're just, Korea is fucking awesome in so many ways. But the fans are, oh, so good. <laughs> like, I, have no, I have no connection to that music. Like, it's just, it's, it's a novelty if, at best. But hearing how they interact and how they just, oh, they're so organized and they're just so smart. I love them. I love all my Korean friends, like in my life also, like I just, I have a bunch of Korean friends and like Korean people are, I, I, I love like a lot of Korean, Chinese, Taiwanese, Japanese people. I don't like Americans. <laughs> I'm in Mexico and, and I'm in this place where I'm the only person from the United States here. It's, it's really cool. Like everyone is French, Italian, uh, mostly Mexican, but everyone is who's from somewhere else is like French or Italian mostly. And a few Swedes, and then I'm the only person from the United States. And I'm just like, I love it. I don't mind getting made fun of for it. It's, it's fine, you know. Uh, have you thought about doing more, totally another, another thing that I'm curious about. Have you thought about doing more vocal records? Yeah, I mean, I sang on this record and I didn't yeah. realize how many people would catch on to that. So I didn't really realize how deep my voice was till I sang on that. So maybe. Uh, We'll see. After I'm done with this TV thing, I want to explore that more, but it won't be for a year at least. Okay. Uh, have you thought about producing for other artists? Yes. That's been yeah. a goal. One of my big goals for 2020 was to produce an instrumental for some notable hip hop act. I'm, any of them, anybody. I just wanted to see if I could do that as a challenge. Talk to Dom. What's up? Well, that was it. I told Dom I wanted to do this. Yeah. So I, I had, before all this started, before this TV stuff started, I, was um, like really in a zone making this sort of uh, stuff influenced by that world. And I, that was going to be my goal. But then the TV stuff just took over my life. Okay. So maybe 2021, that'll be my goal. I feel like you could go like a Burdinsky path a little bit with his yeah, I mean, production. It'd be great. I, I just, yeah, it's like what I was saying before. I'd love to have my hands in a million different things and then circle back to doing what I was doing two years ago and constantly have a cycle. But yeah, one of my big That's goals cool. was to 
it's more of a challenge than a goal. I just want to see if, if I could do that and make something worthy enough to get placed Yeah. for pop or for hip hop. But I think hip hop would be more interesting. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. But cool. it is definitely going to be something that happens for sure. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much for, for taking this time for opening all of this. I, I, I love hearing all the perspective. I've been living with your music for a while and well, thanks a lot. learning all the ideas behind it enriches it so much more. And a lot of good advice also that I've taken. I, I love how you've thought the sort of the life around the music in really dynamic ways. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. And hopefully we will uh, be somewhere IRL in the new world in a club or watching a film or I don't know what, but hopefully we'll have, we'll have tea somewhere and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll hook you up with some links. Yeah. Send me some. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, you so much and uh, stay healthy, stay safe, keep working out. And um, I'm happy, happy to be in touch. Yeah, you too, man. Enjoy Mexico. Cheers. Enjoy, right. enjoy Berlin. <laughs> okay. Peace. Take care.